0: As dangerous a player as there is in the country, would you say at the moment?
1: Definitely on that performance easy the most. When he's on his game, he's easy the most dangerous player.
0: Nish. Lee Interesting. Very interesting! Oh look at his face! Just look at his face! Welcome everybody to this special episode of the Bolt from the Blue podcast when we go back in history and look at the Franny Lee years. Listeners will be aware on the podcast that we did a series of pods uh, before on the Peter Swales era, which were very popular, so we thought we would give you something to listen to uh, before City's next game, and uh, of course, as usual, I'm joined with our two regular guests, the two other members of the Bolt from the Blue podcast, first of all. Colin Savage. How are you doing, Colin?
2: Good, thank you. Yeah, just saying to Ray, busy day today. Got City Matters after this. Two meetings from... uh I think four o'clock till nine o'clock. So,
0: And we also have Ray Bubbles from the YouTube uh, channel, City Fan TV. How are you doing, Ray?
1: Hey, I'm fantastic, Mike. I went to watch um, a very enjoyable uh, Champions League game last night. Man City women versus Atletico Madrid women. Finished one all. Very nice atmosphere. Very good game took my lads and they had a good evening as well and they enjoyed themselves. And yeah, it was um, interesting to see what will happen in two weeks. Hopefully we'll get uh, a few of our uh, strikers is back and uh, we can do the business over in
0: Madrid. Well, listeners, uh, you might know this already, but uh, the three of us are uh, not spring chickens, I'm afraid, uh, any longer. The three of us have all been following City for more than 40 years, and uh, fascinating to look back on this era. But of course, it's not just a question of looking at Francis Lee in his time as chairman between 94 to 98. I mean, that's very, very exciting, and we'll get to that. But of course, when people think about Francis Lee and I I played a few word association games with a few guys at work and said, When I tell you the name Francis Lee, what do you think? What what comes to your mind? They will invariably say, uh, Lee Bell Summerby, that that kind of trident that uh, was very potent for City in the late sixties, early seventies. But um let me just start off with Ray and, and ask him the same question. Ray, when you hear the name Francis Lee, what's the first thing that comes to your mind?
1: The fight with Norman Hunter. <laughs> oh, that
0: was fabulous, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, good old fisticuffs. And um, uh, I, I know, I know, times have moved on, but lo- looking back at that, I mean, it was probably around the time I was started Sporting City, about seventy-three, seventy-four. I think this was in seventy-five. The fight. But it was uh, um, Norman Hunter was at Leeds, yeah. It was I think it was on match of the day that, um, and everybody everybody saw it. There's a lot there was a lot going on between Hunter and, and Lee. I think Lee had uh, been fouled by Hunter. Derby got a penalty, and uh, Charlie George scored. And in the second half they were basically just punching each other off the ball. Uh, the referee stopped the game uh, to I think basically to book the players. I'm not sure if, you know even to this day if, if people know he, he was going to send them off or just book them. But as they walked away, they started fighting again. And it was interesting to note that uh, Lee got the upper hand. He got um, Hunter on the floor. And uh, I actually put out the video yesterday, and I said it was Hunter's teammates. Probably saved him from a pasting in because uh, Lee was all over him. Uh, so that's what really springs to mind first, and then obviously, yes, talking about uh, the triumvirate. Um, I think there was uh, another one video that I put on on YouTube yesterday was Lee. It was a derby against United, and uh, Lee was showing uh, the referee that the United player had dived by basically doing a big belly flop himself, uh, just to show that this is what had happened five or six seconds of fabulous viewing that that dive and it's quite ironic because people said Francis Lee was the guy who was diving to win penalties that's why he got the nickname Lee Won
0: Pen the, sp- the spelling was then changed uh, to Lee Won Pen with a uh, one o n e changed to w o n to reflect uh, people's uh, skepticism about the uh, the veracity of these penalty claims and they and Francis Lee did have a reputation among supporters of other teams for going down uh, well, a bit, a bit too even
1: the, even the referee's chief chief actor, he said he was. He had a reputation of falling down
2: easily.
0: Colin Savage, when you think of the name Francis Lee, what's the first thing that you think of, and what comes to mind immediately?
2: Well, I mean, I think of Francis Lee. This this kind of stocky, unlikely um, looking centre forward, stocky, small, very pugnacious, a, a bit reminiscent of Carlos Tevez in many ways a guy who was always fighting for the ball, was always deadly in front of goal, my dad's favourite player, and um, that's my memory of Francis Lee.
0: Well, Colin, uh, when we begin to try to tell the story of Francis Lee, where would would be a good place to start, do you think?
2: He came to us in October 1967, and he was in the last piece in the jigsaw. So, so uh, Bell and some of you were already part of the club. Obviously, Joe Mercer, Malcolm Allison w- were there. What they needed was a goal scorer, a real kind of live wire up front. And they identified Franny Lee, who was playing at Bolton at the time. And it, he, him and actually Gordon Taylor, who's now the cha- well ex-chairman of the PFA, they had a storming game against us in, I think, a cup game they played. And Lee was identified as the man to fill that gap Bolton weren't keen to sell. He went on strike, which players didn't really do in those days. But Franny basically had a sit-down protest and uh, forced Bolton to sell him to City, which is why he came in later in the season, October rather than the start of the season. So his debut was against Wolverhampton Wanderers on the 14th of October, 1967. And he went on to play through to the 74-75 season. He scored 148 goals in 328 appearances. And up till recently... He set the record of 33 league goals in the season in the 71-72 season, uh, in which he scored a total of 35 goals. It's incredible,
1: actually, the number of penalties he scored that season, as well 13. as That's still a record. He scored was it 15 penalties in the season? So listen,
2: 13, it was 13. Yeah. yeah, and that's why he got the league one pen. And he claims he was actually only involved in winning a minority of those penalties. Well, we were a team that played in the opposition's penalty box in those days, so you know, getting a lot of penalties wasn't really a surprise. But you know, Francis Lee was his. This little guy, as I say, a baffler. he could twist and turn, low centre of gravity, had a mule of a shot on him. He could really hit a ball. City fans love a player like that. You, know, you think Paul Dickov, you think Carlos Tevez. And Lee, Lee was perhaps the player in the modern era who was the, the first player in that mould. He was sold probably a little bit too
0: early. I don't think he took too kindly to that, though, Colin, did he?
2: He didn't take very kindly to it at all. He thought he had um, at least a couple of seasons left in him. He went to Derby and, of course, there was the legendary return to Main Road. Look at his face! Uh, look at in his face! Barry Davis, yes. Look at his, just look at his face. I think he enjoyed that. The story of City's boardroom in, in, in modern times, certainly up to the 2008 takeover, is a story of, of grudges and, and, and um, you know perceived slights. I think Franny carried that forward to his uh, feud or battle with Swales for the club. Why do you think he was sold, actually, Colin? I'm not quite sure. Maybe it was a money thing. Maybe it was kind of breaking up the side, getting rid of some of the players who were more vocal. I'm not really quite sure. It was not popular, that's for sure.
0: Ray, when you started watching the city, would uh, Francis Lee have been gone by then? Were you just a couple of years uh, too late to see him play, or to yeah to watch him on even on TV?
1: Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I was probably watching football as, as much as I could in the mid to late seventies uh, when I think Liverpool was starting to uh, exert their dominance. And so I started Sporting City because my cousin was a City fan, my biggest cousin, our eldest cousin. He was about four or five years older than me. And, yeah, it was cool just to be doing whatever your cousin was doing. And I was very fortunate because uh, he, both his family and my family were, uh, the rest of them are Reds, whether uh, of the Anfield or Old Trafford Persuasion. They were all red, So I was very fortunate in about 73, 74 to start Sporting City just because of my cousin and my uh, closeness with him and for that I, I'm uh, ever grateful uh, to him. So I missed obviously most of what Franny Lee's time at, at, at City. Um, you know, the recollection isn't great so my first thoughts of him would have been after he'd left when I was I was crazy into stats and numbers and figures and you know no wonder I ended up as an accountant but I would look back into history and, and, uh, and what players had done, uh, not just City players but you know milestone moments in in football, um, like attendances and stuff, and so Franny's obviously Franny Lee's name would crop up because it wasn't in the too uh, distant past. And I was um, very big on going to the the library and getting loads of books on football and looking at stats um, and, and numbers um, and reading autobiographers, anything I could get on football and cricket, basically. And and other sports too. Finally, his name obviously would crop up again and again, because for about, was it six or seven years, he was really top dog at City. And City were, for most of that time, uh, top dogs in the country.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, Colin, I'm assuming that you got to see the man in the flesh on the pitch. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, many times. Mm-hmm. And uh, that particular trident that we mentioned uh, uh, Lee and Summerbee and Bell, how does that compare in your memory with uh, some of the front threes that we've been putting out in recent years?
2: It compares very favourably. I think all those players would get into a pep team. Uh, well, obviously not, not their current age, but <laughs> uh, you know, you know, Colin Bell would certainly have gotten into a Pep Guardiola team. Francis Lee, almost certainly a really hard working player. Uh, again, Mike Summerby, very versatile player who who would have been great trying to win back possession so all those players would have got into this team I'm pretty sure in their in their peak so um it it, it was it, it was kind of the, they were almost the precursor of sane sterling or uh, Maris sterling and aguero
0: yeah Colin, and actually um uh, francis lee with uh, city won everything domestically and of course the Uh, City's first European trophy, the the Cup Winners' Cup as well. Quite unusual, really, because he never really looked to have the physique of a player. Even in that era, when players were not the athletes that they are now, you would never have thought it, necessarily, would you?
2: No, as I say, he was a short, stocky guy. And if you think Carlos Tevez, but I think Fanny Lee was even shorter and stockier than Tevez. A you know, big barrel chested guy. He was very strong. I say he, he certainly relished a battle. You, you had to be fairly brave to take on Norman Hunter, as Ray said. And um, you no, know, he was an unlikely looking centre forward. You know, when you think of the Andy Carrolls of this word, they perhaps think Sergio, although Sergio's a lot trimmer. It's that sort of stocky, small, close to the ground, uh, low center of gravity, centre forward, and he had but he had a tremendous amount of skill
0: mm-hmm. and a very very uh, a good a good word you use a very pugnacious uh, character and personality. Here's a little quote, uh, Ray, from uh, David Mooney, who wrote a few years ago on ESPN. He said um, his personality was less Agüero but more Mario Balotelli or Craig Bellamy. You get the impression that David says that had media attention that surrounded football in the late 60s and early 70s been the same way that it does today, Franny Lee would have been the man that fans of other teams love to hate. Would Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, yeah. Um. I mean, the City fans would have loved him for his attitude. I mean, the same way we loved Mario Balotelli, same way we loved uh, Craig Bellamy. In in different ways, I mean, Mario had a different attitude uh, to Craig Bellamy. Craig Bellamy was another short guy, stocky guy. He was a battler and he'd give you everything, you know, physically and verbally. Uh, whereas Mario was a different kind of character, but the fans loved him because he really would rile up opposition fans with his, and opposition players with his behaviour. And, and one of the, my favourite moments is his wink at Rio Ferdinand at Wembley, which sent uh, Ferdinand absolutely bonkers. And uh, I think Franili would have done the same. He'd have been loved by the fans, uh, by our fans, uh, and hated, despised by fans of other teams, and would have loved him even more for that.
0: Colin Savage, after Franili left us, and notwithstanding the, the games he played against us for Derby as his uh, career continued and then began to fade away. I guess a lot of City fans thought that um, he would be consigned to our history books and that we had probably seen the last of him, but uh, that didn't turn out to be true, did it?
2: Well, it certainly didn't. I mean, he went on to make a quite successful career, and he was doing this while he was playing. I mean, you couldn't, I don't think you could do, well, I don't know, you probably could do. He was running a, a waste paper business. So it was a, the the rage in those days, Um, collecting old newspapers and waste paper and recycling them Franny was supposedly recycling them Into toilet roll And uh, he built up a very thriving business But he was actually putting a lot into that Physically, he was driving lorries And unloading them and, and stuff like that S- So it, he he sold that business For what was a, a, In those days a, a consider- fairly considerable sum Maybe just under 10 million So um, Franny was living the good. He got, he got into racehorses uh, Racehorse owner So he was living the good life And um, but, yeah, I, I I don't think City fans thought we'd see him again. But I think you have to um, understand the state City were in, we're in around um, the, the, the mid-70s, really. Um, sorry, the mid-90s, because obviously Peter Swales had come in in the 70s. And his first 10 years hadn't been too bad up to the relegation in 1983. And then it all turned into a complete and utter mess. And probably Swales should have gone about, you know, late eighties, sometime around then. But Swales being Swales, he'd hung on. And um you know, went through manager after manager. And actually we had um quite a reasonably successful period under Peter Reid in the um kind of early nineties when we were in the finishing of the top six in the Premier League. Of course we were, you know, we're founding members of the Premier League, we're finishing in the top six. And then, but the money was running out. Uh, Swales had mismanaged the finances, which is quite ironic uh, in terms of something I'll talk about later, but that Swales said himself. But um, the money was running out, and Peter Reed was getting, Peter Reed was not a man to be diplomatic, I suspect. And his patience with Swales was running a bit thin. Um, He'd gone to him asking for transfer targets um, in the summer of 93, after the 92 93 season. And Swales had turned him down. So already the relationship between Swales and Peter Reid had already broken down that close season. The, the start of the 93-94 season wasn't a good one. And uh, I, I vividly remember taking my son for his first visit to Main Road. And we were playing Blackburn, who, were, who went on under um, kind of Jack Walker's chairmanship at that time, was pumping money in. And they were going, on, go, going to go on to win the title the following season, so they were uh, they were a good team, but they they absolutely humiliated. Well, it was a two nil humiliation at Main Road, and um, the fans. Uh, you know, you can Manchester City fans are fairly easygoing most of the time, but we'll get to a point where they snap, and they come to that point around that time. And Swales knew he was under pressure. He knew the money had run out. He knew he was under pressure. Um, and Swales did what he always did, uh, tried to deflect. So what he did was he, he brought in um, a guy between him and the manager, a guy called John Maddock, who was uh, a journalist and a PR guy. And um, this didn't go down. This, this I don't know. It, it, you know, you can look at this in two different ways. Swales um, wanted someone who was full-time, basically a chief exec, Uh, Whether John Maddock was the right man, I I don't know. Uh, But the fans saw it as Swales um, putting someone in, knowing that things were about to get hairy, putting someone in as, as a lightning rod. So so Maddox was the lightning rod. And um, Peter Swales, this game against Blackburn, I always, I always remember, um, the game was, so we were terrible. I remember my son, who would have been uh, six or seven at the time, saying, um, August 93, uh, 6, yeah, he would have been six. I remember him saying quite loudly, this is boring, why can't we go and watch Manchester United instead? And everyone laughed at it. But anyway, the, the bit he enjoyed was after the game, as we, we, we came out the main stand where we'd been, and there was a, a a Swales Out protest in full swing. And he loved that. He thought that was great. He wanted to go back for the next one. So, um, you know, you, you, you can't beat a bit of chucking rocks, bricks at the boardroom windows to, to get kids interested in football these days, uh, in those days. So... Uh, anyway, Peter Reid was given a press conference and after, after the game and John Maddock stormed into this press conference and went on this quite bizarre rant um, about how he had full control and um, he could sack managers if he wanted. He didn't need the chairman's permission. Um, and, and frankly, he made a bit of a fool of himself. And more importantly, he made a bit of a fool of Peter Reid. And, and then um, Reedy was sacked a couple of days later.
1: It was really... I mean... For me, it was really poor uh, for what happened to Peter Reed because he'd taken City to fifth, fifth and ninth. And that ninth, I think, um, if if I remember correctly, was, you know, we were just um, a stupid loss. I think we lost the last game of the season at home to Everton. Uh, I think if we hadn't something like six so he you know Peter Reed was doing a, I think a pretty good job uh, un, under the uh, circumstances of having Peter swills as <laughs> uh, as his um, boss and I, I you know I, I thought it was really a poor show to sack him after four games of the season okay it hadn't started well but Reed had proved himself uh, for me in the previous three seasons with, with our, um, our performances, our finishes. We were, we were a reasonably decent goal-scoring team. Um, and, and to get rid of him, I, I, you know, obviously I wasn't aware of as much of what was going on behind the scenes. But I just, as a fan, I just found it very bizarre and I found it wrong.
2: Well, I think mostly I, I can quite understand. I mean, I think Peter Reid is probably one of those managers, and there are many of them who come into a club, have a good three years, and then it, you know, the the ideas run out or the players get used to it. Uh, and having seen that the way we played at the beginning of that ninety three ninety four season, I can kind of understand why he might want might have wanted to sack Peter Reid. So, but it was the way it was done. It was the John Maddock thing. Um, and then it was the fallout from that, really, which started things going. And I think the players the players were happy with Reed. The players certainly weren't happy with the sacking. The fans weren't happy with the sacking. And even, even if Swales thought that would deflect attention from his shortcomings, he was completely wrong because the press, even the press turned on him. There's an interesting couple of quotes I picked up. James Lawton, who I think was writing in the mail, so, um, said I happen to know John Maddock as an amiable, intelligent man. But as a football man, I'm not at all sure he would qualify to run my local pub team. <laughs> Which kind of, if you look just across the city, um, you might see parallels. Uh, and even John Maddock's best man, who was uh, James Mossup, who was a veteran Express journalist, even he turned on Maddock, and Maddock didn't speak to him again. Mossup was Maddock's best man; they worked together, and uh, I don't think they ever spoke after after Mossup turned on him. And, you know, we were used to swales swapping manager. I think it was the 11th time swales had changed manager. But this time the the fans had snapped, you know, the the worm had turned. It It was, in some ways, a straw that broke the camel's back. And they could have, but they still could have rescued the situation, possibly. If they got the right manager in to replace Peter Reid, what they came up with, who they came up with, was Brian Horton. Brian who? (laughs) Now, funnily enough, I met Brian uh, last month at my local supporters club, a a really lovely guy, um, and... He, he was only at City, you know, in, in a long career in in playing and managing, he only spent two years with us. And you, you could have forgiven him for having a bit of a grudge against the club. But he clearly loves the club, despite the fact he only spent, I think, 10% of his career, maybe even less than that, with City. He clearly has a love, great love for the club. and And when you think of, you know, the situation he was in, you could say you could understand him not being in that situation. But of course, Brian Horton was a, a fairly, he's a lovely guy, and I think he had some decent ideas, but he was the wrong man in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's and, interesting, um,
0: Colin, isn't it, that after Reed was ushered out, Tony Book had his last ever spell, and he had, had five spells as caretaker manager. Care to take a guess, Colin or Ray, about how long Tony Book had uh, the caretaker job this final time? It or something, one day, guys. One, day. one the twen- day, the 27th of August 1993, the day after uh Reed was uh, ushered out the door, Tony Book was the caretaker manager for one day, and then after that, uh, just as Colin suggested, um, oh, Peter Reed, uh, sorry, Peter Swales, of course, had a reputation of going through managers. But under uh, Franny, Brian Horton, Alan Ball, Asa Hartford, Steve Copple, Phil Neal, Frank, <laughs> Frank Clark, and finally uh, Joe, Joe Royal, uh, Colin. So very quickly, Swales out um, changed to forward with Franny, didn't it?
2: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, um, I say this was the catalyst, really, for everything that came. The reed sacking was the catalyst for everything that came later, And in in early September, I remember we woke up to the news that Franny Lee had announced via the media, Uh, I think it was in the mirror, Um, Lee had announced he had a consortium together that was going to take the club over. And this was, you can't imagine, you know, if you weren't around at the time, you can't imagine the joy this brought to City fans. Well, you you can imagine it because you think back to 2008, September 2008, and the rejoicing among City fans was on that sort of scale and um but but back in 93 it was the context was a very unpopular chairman
0: Colin, how long had that been going on? The whole forward with Franny uh, movement had that had had that started a good deal uh, before no, Swales no, was no. kicked out, or was it just, was it quite a sudden? Uh,
2: no, 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 no. It was um, it it didn't start uh, if I remember rightly. I, I tried to track this down with a couple of guys I thought were involved, but they said they weren't. But it didn't start till, till Lee Lee announced his bid. Up to then, it was just a purely Swales out, and God knows who else coming in. But uh, the Fall with Franny movement started very much uh, only after Franny announced his intention. Now um, so so the rejoicing among City fans was just amazing. It was it was almost like, you know, the, the last ten years of Swales era had been pretty well a disappointment. Um you know, Reed had been one of the few who'd who'd lighten the gloom, but I say um, th- this was electric news to City fans. Uh, but Sw- and I think Swales knew his time was up. But he certainly wasn't going to go without a fight. And he certainly wasn't going to go with um, giving easily to Franny Lee. Uh, we talked about before about why Lee was sold. And uh, I thought he was, I, I just a check while while Ray was talking. I thought it was Ron Saunders who sold him, but it was actually Tony Buck. I suspect Saunders um, put in motion, though, the the moves to get rid of the senior players at the time, who were perhaps agitating the. So, so, but Swales had definitely done the deal and Swales seemed to enjoy doing the deal. So, so maybe that was part of it, part of the um, rancor, maybe something that must have gone on between Swales and Lee when, Swale, when Lee was a player. So um, Swales wasn't going to go down fighting. I think he knew his time was up. But he'd um, he'd like supposedly lined up another potential visit uh, bidder, and and this guy was a guy called Stephen Morrison, who was not Morrissey Morrison, who was um, the chief executive of Granada T- or the Grenada Media Group, it used to be Grenada TV. So obviously he'd done quite well. Um, whether he'd have stepped down as chief executive of Grenada, I don't know. But well, unfortunately, Granada at the time were merging with Yorkshire TV, and and that was keeping him occupied, kind of eighteen hours a day. So Morrison uh, moved aside. Swales, I think, now had accepted he had to go, having kind of messed up the managerial situation. Although it was Horton wasn't a terrible manager. We played some nice football, but he wasn't a successful manager. Uh, and this is when the forward with Franny stuff started and the pressure started building uh, against Swales. But I think he wanted to try and smoke out uh, in the same way that um, Alistair McIntosh and John Wardle did in 2007, Uh, before Shinawatra, they they wanted to try and fend off the supporters trust I was involved with and try and smoke out any other bidders.
0: Just a quick question here for Ray. Ray, there has been some suggestion that when Swales knew that his time was up, uh, as Colin suggested, that he employed a bit of a scorched earth policy. And uh, I don't know whether this is true or not, or what you think about this, but um, uh, pointedly left a situation that was going to be very difficult for any incoming chairman to deal with and I mean in terms of signing up players to long contracts because it's quite well known that when uh, Franny took over as chairman um, and something that uh, I think the next chairman uh, David Bernstein noted that there was over 50 um, professionals on the books yeah. I mean did you have that impression that, um, that uh, Peter Swales was being less than uh, altruistic uh, or generous towards the next chairman.
1: Uh, oh, it's, it's a funny thing when money's tight you'd think we'd be getting rid of the players uh, professional players we wouldn't have I think at 1.40 or 50 professional players on our books it does sound like a lot I, I, I can't remember around the same time um, where someone commented that some of the young, youngsters can't get through we, City had a lot of good youngsters they couldn't get through because we had so many professionals that um, the professionals were filling out. In, in those days, we didn't have things like the EDS and the academies and whatever. We had a, a second eleven, in effect, reserve team, or we'll call it what you will, and they're in their own league. But that was full of our, our professionals, and so the kids couldn't get a game. So it was it was bizarre. As I said, you're trying to save money, or you're losing money, or you know you're spending money, and the money's running out surely you, you want to get rid of some of these players rather than get more. And maybe you're right. I, I mean, I, I can't confirm, but maybe you're right. He was just setting up the next person um, for a down, basically, to, to, to suffer. And, uh, and then people would turn around and say, well, actually, that Peter Swales, he wasn't a bad bloke, Worry.
0: Yeah, Colin, just to ask a quick question, I'm very interested in the appointment of Brian Horton because I believe that there were quite a few more celebrated names in the frame before that appointment was made. Is that true?
2: Well, there were names in the frame, but, you know, how serious these names were. Apparently someone said there were about 30-odd names in the frame or, or that were mentioned in the press. So and the media was no, but not much better in those days than it is today. I, I seem to remember so,
0: Howard I, Kendall, maybe? Or am I, am I getting that wrong? Uh, Kendall. Um, this is nine. No, August ninety
2: three. Yeah, I, there were a lot of names mentioned. You know, and everyone was, uh, and this was the thing about the Horton. Everyone had built themselves up to expect a really big managerial appointment. You know, names like George Graham, um, Kendall probably, um, Terry Venables. You know these really big names, are Brian Horton, and, and, and I think that, and as I say, that's
0: what—that's when the city fans snapped. And uh, Colin, I mean, what had Horton done to get his name in the frame? It seems to be a little bit like the the modern day Ole Gunnar Solshar situation, but well, at least at least Solshar won something at least in Norway.
2: Well, well it kind of reminds me of the David Moyes thing more more than Solskjaer at United. Uh, he'd done very well at lower league clubs, and, and the money had run out at City. You yeah, know, there was no money. Um, so perhaps the theory was we'll get someone who can manage well on a budget, uh, uh, as I think the, the theory was with Moise at United. Uh, although I think that was um, Ferguson's parting two fingers at the, at the Glazers, but obviously that's not to do with us. But. Um, so, so Horton really never, I guess, never really had a chance. You know, he he's just come in, and and um, I think his second or third game was a game, home game again. We won the first game, which against Swindon, and um, which is because uh, he'd come from Oxford and Swindon were their great rivals. So so he had a bit of a... But we played QPR after Lee announced his bid. The next game was QPR at home. And Lee and his consortium and, and Colin Barlow, um, John Dunkley and David Holt. And, and actually, interestingly, the last two were um, clients of my dad's. And particularly uh, David Holt was a great... The Holt were great friends of my parents. Knew them well. Uh, they turned up to the QPR game and they got a hero as well. Even though they didn't uh, have you know, own any shares or didn't own many shares in the club at that point. And Swales was the pantomime villain. So so Lee, Lee and, the, and the, got cheered to his seat in the directors box and Swales was was booed and there was a big demo afterwards a Swales out demo and um um so, so that you know that that set the scene for Brian Horton really I mean it's he, the worst possible scenario isn't it coming in as a manager you're trying to do your best and he's a really decent guy and I'm sure he was trying to do his best for the club well, he, I say he was the wrong person at the wrong time. And, um, you know, when you've got the threat of a takeover, and what, 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 what new, unless you've done spectacularly well as a manager, generally the first thing the chairman, new, a new incoming owner or chairman will do is look at the manager and say, is this what I want? So, so it must have. The pressure was on um, Horton really, and I think he did quite well to to re- resist it.
0: Ray, Ray, was it Horton actually in your memory that ushered through the the Paul Lake generation and the um, the FA Youth Cup winning squad? I, I think uh, it might have been him that sort of set the youngsters on their way.
1: It was around that time, but it's it's probably I remember Gary Flitcroft playing, and we had a, a few youngsters, but it's it's probably. Uh, um, Better than mine, but I thought Brian Harton had a good start at City, you know. Um, I think he only lost one of his first six or seven games, which I think at that time was pretty decent for City. I think we drew a few, but we won a few as well. Um, and it, I, 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 that initial um two or three months actually looked to you know, um, that he was, he was making a difference, um, up till about October, middle of October, and then suddenly I don't know if it w- was that pressure. Uh, of maybe somebody else coming in, uh, but suddenly our results started to turn and we lost a whole a bundle of games, um, you know, and it put, kind of put us back um, quite a bit that season.
0: Mm-hmm. And actually, um, Colin, I'm j- just reminding myself of, of of just some of the, the great names of, of our team at the day. Pretty much before um, Franny Lee got involved, it was all about... Niall Quinn and David White, but through pretty much all of his tenure, uh, Francis Lee's tenure, it was all about Uwe Rosler, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, we—I can't remember I uh, so my note really. I, but, I've got—I've um, just got the statistics here. So, uh, ninety-four, ninety-five season. Oh yeah, Rosler oh, yeah. top top goal scorer, twenty-two. Top goal scorer again the next season, thirteen. Top goal scorer again. Uh, sixteen uh, goals, and then it, it moved on to uh, the 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 Sean Goater era. But um, it was a, it it was kind of it was a very there were very interesting times, very exciting times. But um, uh, Colin, I just wanted to ask you this: How far did Brian Horton get into the job when uh, Francis Lee took over? Was that at the beginning, the middle, or near the end of the season?
2: No, um, Horton took over. Uh, September 1993. So the first game was 1st uh, of September 93, which was the Swindon Town game. Lee, uh, and we'll talk about the takeover battle in a minute, but Lee finally took over in February 94. So his first game was 5th of February 94 against Ipswich.
0: So about six so months, I guess.
2: So, yeah, uh, six months, just about six months, yeah. Five, yeah, September, October, November, December, January. Five months, basically. Uh, and yeah. every, everybody History. talks
0: about the fact that, you know, when a new chairman takes over, whoever is the manager is not the chairman's pick. And it often seems to be, Ray, in these situations that the writing's on the wall for the incumbent when a new chairman takes over.
1: Yeah, you're, you're definitely right there, Mike. And it's a funny old thing because all that time um, that... We, we had the, the, the prospects of Franny uh, taking over. Um, City started to struggle. On, I, I, I'm a stats man, so City s- struggled uh, under uh, Brian Horton. And I think we lost eight of the next 13 games uh, before uh, the takeover. And it's, it's a, you know, and actually, you think losing that m- number of games in sh- such a short uh, period of time with a new chairman at the helm that Brian Horton would probably get the boot sooner rather than later. Uh, but that seemed to galvanize <laughs> City a little bit. And uh, from the 5th of February onwards to the 7th of May, we only lost three more games in the league. I mean, sadly, we didn't win too many. We won about five and we drew a lot. But it, it kind of, um, I don't know it, it, did it put pressure on on finally not to sack Brian Horton because oh, yeah. we actually done quite
2: well mm-hmm. yeah yeah well, well yeah yeah. I was going to say um, kind of I was going to wanted to step back into the takeover battle which was yeah. quite bitter and there's a lot lot of stories about that but it's yeah a, it's a shame uh, though Colin isn't it because wait.
0: we remember Horton what? he was always decked out in that kind of shell colourful shell suit the five o'clock shadow um, uh, and he you know a lot of City fans have got quite a lot of um, nostalgic love for Brian Horton because his style of football wasn't that bad. It it was quite good, as as I remember. Yeah,
2: the style was quite good. He was, you know, we tried to play open, attractive football, but the results weren't good. And as Ray said, um, Horton's first game was the 1st of September 93, and we won three out of our four league games in September.
1: Yeah.
2: but then we only won three for the for the rest of the year. So October, November, December, we only won three games. And in fact, when um, the first game under Francis Lee, which was Ipswich Town, which was only our second winner of 94, we were actually in the bottom three at that point. So, yeah, I mean, you're trying to... You know, I can see both sides. Brian Brian was a nice guy. He tried to play football, but he wasn't very successful at what he did. I think I worked out. I've not worked it out once. He he had about a thirty three percent win ratio as manager. And, and when you look at and you look at the team, I, I noted the team that that game against game Ipswich we won um, in February '94. The team was um, blah 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 blah. blah Where do I put it? So we had Tony Coates in nets. We had uh, Richard Edgehill, Stevie Lomas, David Rocastle, Keith Curl, Michelle Vonk, Carl Schutt, Mike Sheeran, Carl Griffiths, David Flickcroft, uh, and Terry Thelan. No, not a bad team at all. What, you what? know, how we ever got in the bottom three with that team? I think perhaps, perhaps it says something about what was going on off the field. But you know, perhaps you know, trying to play attractive football is one thing; playing attractive football and winning is uh, another thing entirely.
0: Now, guys, just before we get into the very exciting boardroom battle that that uh, Colin alluded to, just to give a bit of context. Let's see what the three of us were doing at that time. Now, we're talking about 1993. And, of course, uh, Franny Lee was there from 94 to 98. And I remember at that particular time, uh, did my first degree and then did my first undergrad degree. And in this period, 94 to 98, Ray, what were you doing? Where were you? Uh, can you remember? Uh, oh, I, I, can rem- I can remember. I know you guys know my memory's
1: like a sieve. But I can remember some of the stuff I was doing. The Uh, mid-90s,
0: exciting times.
1: Yeah, I can remember exactly what I was doing. I'm trying to uh, lie to you and think of something exciting and exotic and daring. Um, But actually, I was an internal auditor. I just started a career as an internal auditor. Um, after passing my accountancy, final accountancy exams, I worked up in Yorkshire. Looks like City could
0: have done with you then. Um,
1: um, maybe, maybe not. If you had, Go and ask my employers at the time. I um, had a cultuous relationship with the first one. Um, and then I moved down to London in nine, summer of 95 to work at a university there as a senior internal auditor, no less. Ah, the summer I of 95. So. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so it was a long, long time ago hey, when I was, uh, yeah, it was, oh, blimey. Yeah, you make me think it was that was a long time ago. We were in our Uh, twenties,
0: Ray. We were in our twenties. Oh my gosh! uh,
1: um, Yeah, still, still in my twenties. It was good times. Good um, good times. Uh, Not so much on the pitch. Some poor times on the pitch, but good times off the pitch.
0: Colin Savage in the mid nineties. What were you doing? What were you up to?
2: I was um, working. Probably the happiest I've been professionally and um, kind of. In, in, in my personal life, I guess. Um, I
0: mean, you were, work, were you were working with one of the big banks back in those days?
2: No, I was working actually for an insurance company. But insurance company that started off very small but had grown very big. Uh, and I was playing a key role in that. I was um, uh, doing strategic stuff there. I was delivering... Um, crucial management information systems. You know, I I was uh, really the golden boy, one of the golden boys of the company. Oh, my gosh. If uh, only we
0: had had Ray and Colin in on the scene (laughs) in those days. We've got accountants and we've got financial specialists. My goodness. Why didn't they bring you in, guys? Come on.
2: I know. I know. I know. We could have done a great job. But Yeah, it was a uh, yeah, one of the happiest. I was moving it started to at the end of the period, starting to move into consultancy, which I'd always wanted to do. So it was a great time for me personally, you know, to bring up a young family. Um, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, and um, roll and, with the Oasis and you remember that contrast
0: and stuff off the pitch, yeah. The, big, yeah, the yeah. big battle between Oasis and Blur that'll, that'll help you yeah. guys remember a little bit. <laughs> remember. At that particular time, I was working. Um, I was b- between the first degree and, and the second one, and I'd got a job working in Old Trafford Bakery, um, shovelling um, liver basically, and uh, going to Main Road back in back in the day. Whenever I was over there visiting a friend uh, called John McCarran, he was doing his PhD. We were so young, guys. We were so young back in those days. <laughs> But anyway, that was a that was a slight diversion. But Colin, we're 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 very interested in this boardroom battle, and uh, something I didn't have access to, but you know something about it, don't you?
2: Well, yeah. Um, as I say, look, to, to set the scene, Francis Lee had announced he was making a bid. Um, Swales didn't want Francis Lee. Um, I don't think he, he was definitely the bidder of last resort. He he knew his time was up, and he and he said as much. Um, so Swales apparently made a statement. I'd love to keep going, but I realise it's probably time for someone else to have a go. So if you can get the right, if I can get the right deal, I'll step aside. Now, um, but he, I say, he didn't want Lee, and this is where the battle started. So Swales was definitely trying to smoke out another bidder. Uh, there was a big split in the boardroom between the Swales's um, allies in there and the ones who thought he ought to step aside. And the there were a lot of pro obviously the Forward the Franny movement started. And funny enough there was a there was a candlelit protest on the Kippahs where people um, lit can- a candlelit protest. And it, and it, yeah, and it was bit—it was described a bit like, you know, Dad's Army with the air raid warden Hodges. Put that light out. Uh, it was a very, um, you know, there was a lot going on uh, among the fans. You know, for the, for the first time really since the 60s, um, prior to Joe Mercer and Malcolm Allison coming, the fans were mobilised. Yeah, and almost, they were almost um, united, or if I can use that word in their desire to see Swales go. And then it kind of, so that was September. Then it, The AGM was traditionally always in December. And, and this was probably, I wasn't at the meeting, um, but no know people who were. And then this was probably one of the most fractious AGMs that City have ever had. And God knows there have been a few. Um, and I was talking to at the last game the Wolves game actually was I had a long chat with Noel Bailey uh, Noel if uh, the name doesn't mean anything to you was editor of Bert Troutman's Helmer fanzine. and they wrote up Noel was at the meeting and they wrote up they, I think they had a four page write up in the in, in uh, uh, electric blue it was at that time before it came Bert Troutman's Helmer and they had a big write up of the AGM and apparently um, Dave Wallace my, my, my pal Dave Wallace who is now king of the Kipax editor and, and was back in those days um, he tried to attend the meeting he had some shares transferred to enable him to tend as a shareholder, he was turned away, claiming there were irregularities in the transfer. And um so <laughs> two interesting um visitors or two interesting shareholders were um Eddie Large of Little and Large and the guy yeah yeah and the guy called Elliot Rushman who was simply Red's manager. So and this was really one of the big AGMs we, we we've ever had. And um there was a hell of a um you know there was a hell of a verbal battle and the Swales claim that, which was a, a very ironic claim, he said, "When I became chairman, oh, that's right. That, that someone stood up from the floor to praise um, Swales's wonderful stewardship or wonderful chairmanship, and uh, the meeting apparently erupted. Uh, and he was up for he was up for re-election because, uh, directors have to be periodically re-elected. So Swales was up for re-election, and, and he, I think he made a statement." Saying that when I became, well, he did make a statement at some point. I'm not sure if it was AGM or not. When I became chairman, the club was in a mess financially. Now we took over a very profitable club from the Alexander family, and of course we um, should pay tribute to Eric Alexander, the last, you know, the third generation of that family who died a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but we were a profitable, well-run club when Swales came in. Uh, but it was almost Trumpian in his, um, you know, turning the truth on its head. When I became chairman, the club was in a mess financially. Mm-hmm. I have turned the. Situation around. Well, th- I suppose that was true, because it was an absolute mess financially. Um, I, I, you know, it was it was a, a Trumpian r- completely. Make City the truth. great
0: again. Make City great again. <laughs>
2: yeah. And the more Peter Swales dug his Cuban heels in, the more the fans got aggressive. And um, you know, the demos were getting quite nasty and there were threats against him. I think there was an instant where someone even got into his mum's room at the nursing home uh, he was in, and Swales blamed Lee for orchestrating it, which he later. Decided he, he wasn't right about.
0: Did, did he really and, wear Cuban um, heels, Colin? Uh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Of course, just to
0: add a few extra inches onto the height there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, the comb over and the wig and it whatever. Sounds like, uh, uh, like Sven, doesn't it? At least he didn't.
0: Yeah. At least he didn't leave them outside the hotel door rooms to let females know that he was available. But
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, to back back to the AGM, I, I say the, the meeting w- was in complete uproar and. Um, there was a show of hands on whether to re-elect, uh, re-elect Peter Swales, which he lost uh, by about 80 to 50. So the fans start, the, the shareholders or the fans started cheering, thinking Swales was not re-elected. But in fact, the vote then went to uh, um, shares. And of course, Swales and his um, cronies had the majority of the shares. So actually, he was re-elected. But um, Elliot Rashman is um, was uh, particularly vocal. And I, I must read some of the things he said. He said, Share are irrelevant. The club is half-developed, a corner shop in a world full of supermarkets, city or a Bovril and Wagon Wheels club. In any other business, the chairman wouldn't still be there after 20 years. If you go out on the playing fields of Manchester, what do you see written across kids' shirts? Sharp, who are the United sponsor, of course, more than Brother. And if I was Greenalls, who were one of our big backers, and if I was Brother, I would be questioning whether you're really capable of taking us into the 21st century. I suspect not. I'm just an ordinary fan I'm 41 and I've been supporting City for 31 years anyone under 20 doesn't know success and another shareholder said the chair should provide leadership and inspiration. And with all due respect, Mr. Swales, your reputation is in tatters. Your credibility is low. And I would be heard, urge you on behalf of all the fans of this football club and everyone here that you talk to Mr. Lee and his consortium because we do need leadership and we're not getting it at the moment.
0: So, um Colin, this this sounds very much like, it reminds me very much like that famous statement of Geoffrey Howe whenever he turned his attack on margaret thatcher in the in in the in the House of uh, Commons and uh, uh must have been an astonishing response to that
2: uh, well well uh, you know, the, the, the jeffrey they always said about Jeffrey how it was like being savaged by a dead shoot. But I mean, the anger of the fans was real. And of course, Swales Swales could see that. He knew it was time to go. He, he absolutely knew. He t- as I say, keep saying he didn't want to sell to Lee particularly. He didn't want to be forced out. He wanted to do it on his terms. And he actually a, a, a further Swales trick. Um, a, 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 and to some extent, he thought he was invulnerable because uh, I say I was just checking the, the my notes and the, the show of hands was lost. I say by about eighty to fifty. Oh no, uh, yeah, seventy nine votes to fifty two against reelecting him. But the, um, the shareholder vote was 688,000 for re-election and 9, 000, less than 10,000 votes against. So obviously, Swales must have thought at this point he could, he could ride out the storm. And uh, it, it, one last trip to try and say, confound his enemies, he, he technically stood down as chairman, um, which is like a typical Swales manoeuvre, uh, and he wanted someone else to come in. And apparently he'd lined up a guy called Mike McDonnell, who'd made a, a lot of money in scrap metal and engineering. And, and having said having said just now that swells his statement about he turned the club round from a financial mess into a successful one, he was actually met with McDonnell. He was pleading, meeting wealthy fans, pleading for money because the club was struggling. And McDonnell, um, he wanted to get £2 million out of Mike McDonnell. Uh, and McDonnell apparently quoted, was saying... Um, the club was having trouble finding the money to pay the wages. So, so much for Swales' public declaration that he turned the financial situation round. What McDonald was prepared to do was prepared to put two million quid in, which was like putting your finger in the dike, which is already cracking in other places. Uh, and he would get the chairman for chairmanship for that. And he was already thinking about players he was going to buy with the money and blah blah blah. And then Swales went to the board and put this to the board. This is where it really got um, kind of uh, things really got serious. And um, the board was split. So uh, I think there were, there, were, there were seven, two members missing. So there were seven members there, two directors missing. And Swales put the vote to the board to appoint McDonald as chairman. Uh, normally he could have relied on carrying that, but the, actually he lost the vote. And when he lost it, he lost the vote 4-3. And he lost it because his previously uh, loyal, one of his previously loyal tenants, Ian Niven, who owned the Fletcher Moss Pup in Denton, uh, he turned against Swales. He switched his vote. And um, Swales was obviously astonished by this uh, and, and quite annoyed with Niven uh, and, and, and you know gave him some stick. Uh, But Swales' plan B was to reconvene the board with the two uh, missing directors present uh, and and hopefully overturn that, which he was confidently doing. But Mike McDonald came to him and he he told McDonald this and McDonald said, I'm not coming to a club with a split board. And... um, he wouldn't uh, He wouldn't give the money and accept the chairmanship. And I think that's the moment at which... Oh, and Swales had another ally, uh, a guy called Stephen Bowler. And uh, Bowler put a lot of money in. He made a lot of money through kitchens. And um, he was the... I think he originally set up QuickFit or the company that became QuickFit. Uh, He put a lot of money in uh, when he needed it, but but Bowler had gone to Swales and said there was no more money uh, because we needed, the Kipaks had to be demolished and rebuilt at that time. Uh, And that was estimated to cost us, I think, one and a half million at the time. Uh, And Bowler had actually 30% of the share. So with him and Swales as allies, um, no one could defeat Swales. But but Bowler said there is no more money and, and that he could no longer support Swales, which meant Swales had lost basically half of his support and um that was the moment that that swales knew the battle was lost and that uh, franny Lee. no one else won it was a poison chalice no one else wanted the chairmanship uh, and franny was really the only show in town
0: and you can't get quicker than a quick fit fitter so in comes francis Lee. in comes there was still a big battle
2: over the show, and it was funny because i remember david conne got slated for saying this but i i i, I was in the same boat I, you know, I'd worked in a council. David Conn was a qualified solicitor. But we were both quite naive and thought all Swales had to do was say to Franny Lea, OK, Franny, you can have the chairmanship because it's all about shares. So they had to agree to a deal to buy the shares. And uh, eventually that deal was com- concluded. Uh, that took all January, quite a fraught, um, quite a fraught month. Um, Swales was trying to hold out uh, and Lee was trying to kind of beat him down. But eventually, um, Lee had to come back from his winter retreat in Barbados. And eventually, and it's quite important, this, because people think finally Lee took over Manchester City. Actually, he didn't. He He managed to buy 15% of the shares, mainly from Swales, Uh, And some from Bowler and another seven and a half percent each in the hands of his three cohorts. So it's Colin Barlow, John Dunkley and and David Holt. I believe he only
0: paid about three million,
2: wasn't it at the time? Something, something like I think between all of them, they paid three million, something like that. But all, all they had, they had just under a quarter of the shares uh with Peter Swales left with uh eleven and a quarter percent and I think Bowler left with uh less well less than is there, about eighteen to twenty percent something like that. So actually Bowler and Swales still had more shares than the Lee consortium. But but basically Lee was in the chair so so and um and it was interesting because then obviously Lee came in. As I say it was February, our first game against Ipswich went well. You know there was a really celebratory mood among the fan base. I think they had a steel band on the pitch and balloons and banners, and you know everything seemed to be going well. But we were in the bottom three at the time under Brian Horton, so I kind of you've got to remember that. And, and there were things like so. So by the time and a couple of other um, interesting things at the time. So so by the time all the deals had been done, seven million, about seven million had been put into the club. And, and the other key thing was uh, one of the Lee advisors had been a uh, a city figure called David Bernstein, and, and Lee bought David Bernstein in with him um, as an advisor. Really, I think he was the director, but mainly as a kind of right hand man advisor. And of course. Um, that was very significant. And um, another com- guy who came a, on the board... A
0: competent fellow, David Bernstein,
2: actually, wasn't he?
0: As a, it turned a fairly up.
2: competent fellow, yeah. Another guy who came on the board was an old school pal of mine, a guy called Ashley Lewis. And he was um, Stephen Bowler's right-hand man and, and confidant, uh, again, an accountant, um, so Ashley came on the board To represent Stephen Boulder's interests But I say we'd had 7 million put in the club And I think when Lee came came along The scale of the financial ravages That Swales had wrought on the club Started to become clear So there was the, the famous issue with the boiler Someone told him that the, the, the hot water boiler Needed a to, And Lee went to have a look And found it was like He said it was something Like something out of the African Queen And it hadn't worked And more often than not Opposing teams and the referees Had to wash in or shower in cold water, and it would cost £15,000 to replace or repair. And we didn't have the money. We didn't have £15,000 to repair let's just, it. Now,
0: let's just bring in Ray at this point. Ray, I'm going to give you a quote and see if you remember this, because I did. Uh, it turns out that um, that uh, despite his um, status as the uh, toilet paper king, um, he didn't quite have the funds of, of someone like Jack Walker, and I particularly remember this quote and i know ray you'll remember it too this will be the happiest club in the land the players will be ah. the best paid and we'll drink plenty of champagne celebrate and sing until we're hoarse but ray um the only singing the only hoarseness was from the the the, the fans yelling at the quality of the football um in the aftermath of that do you remember that quote ray
1: i, I remember reading the quote uh, maybe not at the time um I remember reading the quote, and then you look back and you think <laughs> you're just asking, you're setting yourself up for a fall. Oh, really? Um, for it, begging for it, wasn't uh, it? The fall was huge. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure we're gonna we'll go in, in, into that in a lot more detail. But from being at the nether regions of the uh, Premier League um, to dropping down into the, you know, within space of a couple or three seasons into the third tier of English football. That wasn't the kind of football we were expecting. And, and we were certainly drinking champagne, um, it, it was totally the opposite.
0: Mm-hmm. Colin Savage, um, that's when I first, when I was that age, that's when I first uh, found out the true meaning of the word bellicose. Um, <laughs> Fr- Franny Lee had, had a habit at the time of producing these uh, statements that would be worthy of, of Brendan Rogers, like times 10
2: on acid. Well, yeah, I mean, we did talk about trying to get Franny on this, but I, I suspect that wouldn't have been very productive. But um, yeah, I mean, Francis had a, a view of things, and um,
0: he was old school. Well.
2: He, he, yeah, yeah, he was. You know, obviously, and I think to be fair, I think I think he had genuine intent. I I, I think the, the the kind of end plan was to turn the club around, get it on a, a sound footing, get it up the league, and then float the shares or sell it on. Because I I think he said that.
0: His intention was to make money for his continuous consortium. I've got this wonderful quote from Guy Hodgson in The Independent in 1998 and he said... um, Franny was right about one thing. Fans got hoarse, but they got hoarse from shouting abuse. His reign was marked by flogging players rather than stability. And you could build, Colin, a fine team around Coton, Phelan, Curl, Quinn, Flitcroft and Steve Thomas. Yes, of course you could. And uh, we underperformed and... um
2: There was so much going on Off the pitch And I say I think to be fair to Fran His intent His desire Was real Even though there was There was obviously something in it He'd invested Quite a lot of his own money To be fair You know He he wasn't uh, He certainly wasn't um, Sheikh Mansour wealthy He'd made a fair few bob But he put a lot of it into City And you've got to respect that And I think he he needed to do that make you know make a return on investment and I think he had you know we genuinely prepared to do that he wasn't in for a quick book, I think he loved city wanted to do something but was Well, well, I think the problems were too great. You know, it needed a lot more money. And and a lot of his time is about trying to raise money, share issues and stuff like that. Now, some of that was to perhaps protect his own investment. But a lot of it was because we needed the money. And I think I say the issue of the boiler, we couldn't service repair the boiler for the sake of 15,000 pounds. We um, he found out that the Social Club, which was on the corner of the the main stand, the North Stand, uh, had been sold by Peter Swales to Greenall's Brewery. Greenall's were one of our big backers in Swales' time, but because he owed them money. So he basically sold the the Social Club building to them, uh, and we leased it back.
0: And he also ended head tennis, didn't he, Colin? Because you'll remember, if you've seen the old grainy videos on YouTube of Tony Burke and the guys... Um, you know, lightening the boot by playing head tennis. Um, and that, I think that was underneath the main stand at the time. That was replaced by a bloody restaurant, wasn't it? As
2: far, uh, as, I, as, far yeah. as I can Lee had the right idea. He wanted to increase sources <laughs> of revenue. So he wanted to turn the social club into a new superstore. But he couldn't do that because didn't, we didn't own the building. And it was two years before we actually got that building back uh, uh, and could do that. So, you know, I think his his intentions were honourable. His instincts were right. Whereas Swales had been left behind in what he wanted to do for the club. But I think the scale of the problem was just simply too great. And I think his bellicose, his rather optimistic sometimes statements, bellicose statement um, didn't help the situation. Yeah, I had I to, look, you I had to um, look that
0: word up in the dictionary. But uh, <laughs> uh, Ray... Um he, he, it's funny the parallels, isn't it? Because um, we've got our own Sheikh Mansour who who came to one game, but more or less stays uh, out there in the Middle East. Uh, um, I seem to remember, wasn't it Antigua that um, that he had his base? Um the the chair Bar, uh, in Barbados and he would he would um he would fly in and um take a look around the place and uh, deliver his judgments um that that's how I remember it was it the same for you Ray
1: well I, I mean I'm just going to say that you could tell um another example of why of, of the how poor City were I think the players around that time either Swales end of Swales towards the end of Swales or the beginning of Franny, they they said they had to take their own crisps onto the bus, onto the team bus. <laughs> the it was City could not afford to give them crisps on the bus. I mean, you know, it's one thing talking about the, the fifteen thousand pounds for um, um for a boiler, but it's it's a totally another thing talking about a pack of walkers or space invaders and the club could not afford to pay the you know, buy them for the players. It was a ridiculous state. And then you've got Franny Lee jetting in from the West Indies um, to do his business at City. It was a totally bizarre uh, situation where you know it's like we were at, at that time. We, we were paupers, and as, as, as um, uh, Colin has alluded to, we were we just couldn't afford to repair and pay for the things we needed, like the boiler. Um, you know, redevelopment of the Kipax. And, and like so many other things, off the pitch, we had problems. And then obviously, we start our problems on the pitch as well.
0: Now, guys, I'm, I'm beginning to sense a natural cutting-off point. for. We're obviously going to go into this in great detail. We absolutely are. I sense maybe a three-parter here. But I, I want to go on and I want to, if possible, get through Brian Horton and Alan Ball before we make the cut-off. Um, before
2: I, we, uh, I I I think Horton is a good place to cut off. Actually. You think so? Okay. Well, let's yeah, conti-
0: Let's continue with that, Colin.
2: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, um, you know, the Lee era started off okay. I mean, the Kippax of course, uh, uh, and a typical sign. Francis Lee talked about this. Uh, we had to demolish the Kippax and build a new one, uh, and then they found actually it had been built on contaminated soil. So instead of um, a pound a ton or something to um, dump this soil, it was costing something like 30 pounds a ton. So the cost of the Kipak shot up. And Frank friendly, he said, I've always been fairly lucky in my life and career. He said, and when I took over City, he said, my luck run out, ran out. He said, and that was the first sign. Uh, and the other thing, actually, just to mention before we kind of talk about it, is um, Colin Barlow uh, initiated the concept of the fan on the board. So so Dave, Dave, my pal Dave Wallace was elected as the first fan on the
0: board. That's not Dave Man. Wallace, the Euroboss yeah, yeah, king, yeah, king of the Kippax. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Dave Wallace, king of the Kippax editor, was voted on as fun fun fan on the board. And um which again in theory was a brilliant idea. Um but the, the problem was, as, as Dave tells it, he thought he was there to convey the fans' views to the board and the board thought he was there to convey their view to the fans. Now, I suppose he should have been doing both, but the, the board didn't see it Dave's way and Dave didn't see it the board's way. So Dave always describes it, he said I wasn't a fan on the board, I was supposed to be a fan of the board. Um, but, but you know, well-meaning changes were happening but, but it, you know, it couldn't be translated. So again, the, you know, the first few games, we were in the bottom three in February. Horton got us out of the bottom three, and we finished uh, 16th. And there were 22 teams in the division. Uh, Sheffield United were in 20th place, and we're only three points um, above them. And um, we'd it wasn't considering the quality of the players we had. We should have been doing a lot better, but but we didn't. So yeah, anyway, the, the friendly era started. We're getting players like um, Begri, Peter Beagrie, Paul Walsh. Um, uh, Paul, yeah, um just trying to think who else came in. Uwe uh, Roswell, of course, mm. came in. So, Nicky Summerbee, um, probably less disappointing than appeared at the time. But, you know, we're getting a good squad together. And, and you know, and let's not forget, it's not that long mm. since we were finishing in the top six in the Premier League. So, I think the fans' view was, yeah, all right, that's it. We've got Swales out the way. Lee's in. Horton's doing an okay job. but Not fantastic, but... Yeah, you know, we, we time the time is is right to move to. We're, we're going to move forward, and we're going to be back to where we were. And
0: Ray, I think your mate David White, who had scored nineteen goals in the season before, like ninety two, ninety three, he was moved on to Leeds. I think wasn't it? Yeah, of, um, yeah. You, You've inter- you've interviewed him.
1: Well, I, and I did interviews. Um, and interviewed him. But I think David White was particularly unhappy about having to leave City. I think he'd had suffered some injuries. And I think he left City on 99 career goals or something like that. So I think that made it, you know, doubly disappointing for him to be moved on because he still had a lot to give. Um, he went to Leeds and he did all right at Leeds, um, but he's, I, you know, I think he was moved on a little bit um, prematurely. He had uh, more to offer City, and I think we City deserve to offer him a bit more because, you know, look, a footballer gets injured. It's not exactly um, entirely down to him. It's not his fault um that that he got injured so yeah it's um, a, a bit disappointing to to move him on so as I said so early um and he I mean you know things stick to my in my mind but obviously he's got he was one of the ones that scored a hat him when we beat uh Huddersfield yeah 80. um and he he played a lot of games, but it, it just, uh, yeah, it was it was a disappointing end, um, uh, you know, for for, for David, um, and I think that he was a fan's favourite as well, and whenever you Know, uh, the we lose a fans' favourite, we're going to be um more than a little bit disappointed. Um, but you know, um, I think we we, we got David Roecastle in exchange, didn't we? Um, so um, Whitey went one way, Roecastle went the other. Roecastle had been at, at Arsenal when they'd done, um, you know, had some good times, and uh, yeah, so you know, we thought you know okay, we're losing one, uh, really a good fan's favourite player, a uh, good player, and we're getting another decent player in exchange. So uh, although you're disappointed on one hand, you're excited about the new guy that's coming.
0: Yeah, you would have hoped that they would just let him stay to make the, the 100 up. But we did hold on to Niall Quinn Colin for one more season. But um, yeah, very, very, very interesting times. What happens next? What happens next? Well, I mean, we're into the 94-95 season, I guess. And uh,
2: I say we're all expecting this to be a season of um, recovery. Uh, you know, give Brian Horton a chance. But I mean, it really, I mean, we, we, I don't think we need to go into it in great detail, particularly. But it wasn't a happy season. And um, the uh, we ended up finishing 17th, uh, although we were six from six points off the relegation zone. But it, it really wasn't good enough. Um,
0: yeah, I think we went out of the FA Cup in round five, the League Cup, and the, the quarter points. final.
2: It's not four points off the relegation zone. But we, we'd actually started off very well. We, we were ninth at Christmas. We'd played nineteen, won eight, drawn four, lost seven, uh, and we were above Spurs and not just above Spurs and Arsenal. And then we we just tailed off completely. Uh, um, and um, in fact, the only wins we had, decent wins we had. Uh, that's potentially saved us from relegation, where we beat Liverpool at home, who were, and we beat even more amazingly, we beat Blackburn at um, Ewood Park, who were Blackburn were going on to with the
0: time. Do you mean Blackburn with Alan Shearer and Chris Sutton, SAS?
2: Yeah, 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 under Kenny Dalglish, and Kenny Dalglish has re- re- reported to have said, "Where the hell will this Manchester City the rest of the season?" He said, "Because if they can do that to us, they should be challenging us." or yeah, worse to that effect.
1: mean, oh, well, we'd, we'd had a terrible time, hadn't we? I mean, since December. I mean, just looking at the the matches, we'd lost, um, you know, it was like bang, 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 four four defeats out of five in December, drew a few games in the end of December and and into January, followed by, you know, another defeat. We hardly won any games. I think we won four games from um, after the 3rd of December for the rest of the season, four league games. And, you know, we got beat left, right, and centre. Uh, okay, you expect to get beat by United, but we got beat away at Leicester, away at Chelsea, away at Wimbledon, Palace, um, Spurs. I mean, they were bang, bang, bang those three right after each other. And,. Uh, we were at the end of it, we were we lost the last two games of the season as well, so we were lucky to avoid relegation, I think, overall.
2: Well, we were, yeah, having been you know well in the top half at Christmas. In fact, the last game was um 3 yeah. 2 against QPR, though we lost we, we were on the wrong end of that scoreline, oh. which was to uh echo another game um a few years later, of course, uh, the, almost on the
0: same day, 14th of May. Here's an interesting little uh uh factoid for you guys. I remember this period so well because. In the uh, summer, or the early summer of 1995, there's me coming up to graduation. I was looking straight down the barrel of a 2 2 uh, degree result because I you know, played a lot of football, went over to visit John a lot of times in Manchester at the time. And so my mate Robbie decided that uh, the the only way that we were going to uh, get through this was I came home one day to our shared apartment in, in Belfast and. Robbie had taken all the. He had actually unscrewed all the plugs for TVs, uh, cassette recorders, radios, um, and things like that. And uh, he basically cut us off in terms of any distractions. And uh, for the final uh, couple of months of our degree, it was nothing more but but uh, studying. And uh, he ended up getting a first. I got a two one. And um, it was quite funny, just just a, a little snippet for you guys. The guy that I was sharing the apartment with at the time is Robbie Bullock. Now, his dad was Boba Fett in Star Wars. Can you believe that? His father was an actor and uh, he played the role of Boba Fett who you don't get to see if you've ever watched the Star Wars uh, movies he wore that costume but um, his uh, his dad was Jeremy Bullock, who was a, a a noted character actor and uh, this was c- coming up towards uh 19 the 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 the, the early summer of 1995 and um, guys a lot of people think that um I, i've I've talked to a lot of young fans and they seem to have got the impression Colin that it was uh, Brian Horton who took us down. But it wasn't Brian Horton that got us relegated, was it?
2: Uh, no, it wasn't. I mean, we finished that 94-95 season. I say, uh, and if, I, if we'd won that QPR game, we'd have finished 12th, which would have been exactly mid-table. Um, and whether that would have made a difference, I don't know. But I think I think Franny Lee was really itching to get rid of Brian Horton and get a big name manager in one he felt was more suited to, to kind of sit. wonder who he God. could have
0: been thinking of.
2: <laughs> well, gosh, yes. Um, and, and, and so so Horton was out really, and um, probably you know twelve tenth to twelve was probably about right for uh, for where we should have been. Well, even the sacking was, was mishandled because um, there was a rumour going around that the um, Horton was going to be sacked and the club outright denied it in the morning and then, and then formally in the afternoon.
0: Reminds me of Mark Hughes. No, no, no. It's like Baghdad Bob. There's nothing happening here. There's nothing happening. And then suddenly it happens. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: So so that was the end of Mr. Horton. And of
2: course, um, it's it's probably a good place to, to wind this up because I've really got to go off and do one or two other things now. But um,
0: Yeah, that is a good place you know, to finish. We guy, we were we were
2: expecting uh, a big name, more in fitting with the the standing of the club, and um, but the problems were only just starting, of course. I
1: mean, I, come on, Colin, we we got ourselves a World
0: Cup winner. Now, <laughs> uh, guys, isn't isn't it? Is we'll it, is we'll it, talk it, about that next time. Isn't it funny, guys, that? Um, a lot of... Uh, I re- I read this a number of times during those years where players would question the legitimacy of the manager and they would say something like, where's your medals? And Alan Ball, the next guy, we'll talk about this on the next episode, of course, but uh, here was a guy who could, um, he could actually throw down the medals, Colin. A World Cup winner's medal. That should have shut yeah, people yeah, up, that... shouldn't it, really? <laughs> well, you know, I... Uh... I Remember watching a few
2: years ago, rewatching that 1966 World Cup final. And Ball was incredible. He ran for ninety minutes, oh, and man, he, was um, he was great. He was fantastic, and you know, he again, he you know, he'd won World Cup medals, he'd won league titles, he'd won everything, and he was a great player. But you know, as we've seen from um, Fergie's Golden Generation, if we can call them that, great players do not necessarily make great managers. Mm-hmm.
0: Guys, this is a perfect time for us to. Um, to finish off the pod. But listen, this has been unbelievably exciting for me. This uh, nostalgia and um, the time when my uh, support for City really got solidified. But um, absolutely fantastic from, from you two guys. What I think we'll do is we'll stop it there. We'll release the pod and we'll see how many uh, people really enjoy to listen to this. And we'll take it up with Mr. Alan Ball and and his medals in the next um, podcast. But it's been an absolute pleasure uh, going down. I hope uh, Colin and Ray have felt the same. And we hope that that transmits, our enthusiasm transmits to you guys, the listeners. So we'll stop here and we will uh, just express our gratitude to Ray. Ray, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Oh, Mike, you just, it's been fantastic to re- remember some uh, some of the bad times. <laughs> You're trying to push them into the darkest reaches of my, uh, what's left of my subtle brain and uh, focus on the good times that we're having now. I mean, uh, it's actually quite fun that people, you know, we lose a game uh, against wolves and people you know, on social media, you know, wailing and crying and, and complaining. They don't, they don't, they've never had it so good, as um, someone once said many years ago.
0: Colin. Um, how excited are you for uh, part two because do you think we'll get through to Steve Koppel by the end of the next
2: one I'm sure we will yeah yeah I mean part two is like I mean this was just like the teaser really it really was for part two and uh, everything that went on you know if you thought the Swales out Forward with Franny stuff was was good wait till we get to Dave Makin's um, BBC Radio
0: Manchester rant (laughs) thank you so much Colin for coming on
2: Pleasure.
0: meet you soon. Okay. Well, guys, we'll leave it there, and we will be back with you before the next game with part two of this saga. So, until then, as we always say, have one on us and up the blues. Finished. And away your life if that turns you out on, It's all a moment, look away in the sky It's about time that your mind took a holiday